Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about things going on in the therapy world. And recently, the... Tenth State has joined the Counseling Compact, which initiates that it is all coming together for licensed professional counselors here in America. And what this does is creates a whole lot of space for people to make up what they think that it is. And (laughs) we are here to correct that information. So, Katie, lots of things to talk about in this episode. What are your initial reactions? So my initial reactions typically with all of these packs, so there's counseling pact, there's SciPact or counseling compact and SciPact, which is a psychologist. I know the social workers are working on something. Us poor MFT so far, we don't have something going on, but I have mixed feelings because I think for me, I have clients who travel around to different states. And so I can only see them when they're in states I'm licensed in. I've got ideas around being able to support folks in areas that have fewer clinicians or clinicians who specialize in and what they need. And I also recognize I live in a state that has a very high cost of living. And so if there are therapists in states with much lower cost of living who are, quote unquote, taking my clients, I think it would be something where that that may make it harder for me to compete in my own market. So Lots of mixed feelings, and I'm not quite sure, at least until we started prepping for this episode, I wasn't quite sure what these compacts meant. And so I think probably we should start with what's the counseling compact, if if we, you know, is SIPAC different, what's the social workers working on, but broadly, what are these things and why do people care about them? So these packs are going to be slightly different between the counselors and the psychologists. The psychologist is SIPACT. The counseling compact is for counselors. We're not really going to talk a whole lot about social workers and MFTs because they have not gotten their act together and have anything moving in this direction yet. Uh, uh, Social workers do. But in talking about the two that are already in place or quickly moving into place. What it does is allows for somebody, this is language from the counseling compact, what it does is allows for somebody who is licensed in and resides in one of the member states to have practicing privileges through some regulation stuff 
in other states. So it's not just like a license reciprocity where you are granted now a 10 state license. No. You have to go through some certain steps of uh, just picking a couple of states out of this here. But if you are, say, practicing in Nebraska and you have a person in West Virginia who wants to utilize your services, you would need to go to the West Virginia board and have a streamlined ability to get a privilege to practice with clients in West Virginia. Okay. But you have to live in Nebraska. It can't be like, I live in California and I'm licensed in Nebraska. So now then I can practice with somebody in West Virginia if I get that streamlined yes. process. And this is the language that you have to be licensed in and reside in one of those states. Got it. So many people have licensure in multiple states already. If you are not one of the 10 states as a resident, this does not apply to you. So this is not like a, you know, huge, like opening up the, the gates to everybody living all over the place. You know, California being where Katie and I reside, we can't just go and get licensed in Utah and now have the ability to practice in all of these other states. A residency requirement is part of this as well. Well, one thing I think that it, it does start things moving, because I know with SIPACT, there are 34 states in process. So it is the beginning of something. It's just a matter of right now, this is the very beginning stages and other states may join. But in, in some of the conversations and research we've done, it sounds like there's a lot that goes into it once a state joins. And even in putting together the, the overarching compact, there's this need to get kind of almost universal expectations, a, a kind of an overarching regulatory body. There's also needs to, you know, look at scope of practice issues, which at least as we're aware of MFT stuff, but there's very different scope of practice for California MFTs than there is for Texas or West Virginia MFTs, for example. And so there's a lot of complexity that's going to be sorted out as this starts to get implemented. But the idea is that these compacts, these interstate compacts are meant to provide a, a launch pad for more states to join, right? And this is some of the stuff that's got to be ironed out over the next couple of years. And frankly, I'd be surprised if all 10 of these states are able to address some of these discrepancies over yeah. the next few years. And for example, and I know not all of these states are currently part of the 10, but they do sometimes have uh, some legislation to get them involved in the counseling compact here. But looking at the different requirements in different states, Georgia, as an example, one of the 10 states does have a pretty high barrier to entry when it comes to becoming licensed within the state. And so I'm going to emphasize again, this is practicing privileges in other states that it's not a full reciprocity of license. So yeah. if somebody is practicing, gets practicing privileges in Georgia as a member of this counseling compact, one of the things that needs to be addressed is the discrepancy between what is allowed from one state to the next. For example, some states allow counselors to provide diagnostics of clients. Yeah. Other states do not. And what has yet to be ironed out on this is how much does this change the scope of practice in these other states? What's unclear at this point is 
how these things are going to be regulated. While there is a central body that will oversee this compact, because of the way that it's set up, each of these states are the ones who are still overseeing their own licensees, disciplinary actions, and abilities to practice. So it's not like you're going to be able to sit at home and do telehealth across all of these 10 states and be able to practice just in the way that you are at home with your home state's client. You're also going to run into, well, I can diagnose this client, but not this one. Or I need to be aware of you know, my ability to do things ethically one way in one state, but because of the ways that the laws are written in another state, I'm not allowed to do this. So these are some of the things that now have to be centrally addressed across all of these states here. And I think it's something that can get very confusing, but I want to reemphasize that there is this element of expectation that this means I'm licensed in these other states. And and because it's practicing privileges, is it telehealth only? If I go visit the state, could I still see those clients in person? Like, what is the what is the practical difference between practicing privileges and licensure in this so the, regard? The the difference is it, it's not a license in another state. It's the allowance of you to be able to provide services to people in that state but it is not the equivalent of having a license in both states. But and what is the practical difference there? Like, why do I care if I'm licensed or I have practicing privileges? One of the major differences is that it's a lot easier to revoke practicing privileges than it is to revoke somebody's license. Okay. That it, having a license in both states means that you are obligated to both states' licensing boards. What practicing privileges means is that you're allowed to practice here, but you're still responsible to your own state's governing body for disciplinary actions and so on and so forth. So it could be very easy if a therapist is working with a client who's out of state and residing in Georgia, for example. Georgia could very easily be like, you're not meeting the requirements of practice in our state, or you're doing out things things outside the scope of practice in our state. And we don't like that. And you're no longer allowed to practice here. So it's a lot easier than going through a lot of the big disciplinary actions that may require revoking somebody's license in a state that they're actually licensed in. So for the clinician, it means that they would really need to be able to identify all the different scope of practice, how to really stay up to date in all these different states, as well as what is that kind of fine line that I can walk either to treat all my clients the same, but super restricted or, <laughs> you know, like having different rubrics for how I treat each client. So it could get pretty complicated is what you're saying for and the clinician to pay attention to what's required of them. Yeah. And I think that this is where, the goal is over the next couple of years to change some of this information so that way we're able to make it a lot simpler for people. Because the goal in this is with the intention of making practice easier, allowing for more people to have access to more mental health providers. However, these obstacles exist and giving kind of the next couple of years of the ability for state legislatures to change the subsequent laws that now need to go into effect because this is in place, the goal probably is to simplify this stuff. 
Okay. And, and I haven't heard or seen anything where any of these member states have, you know, any real opposition in this way. It's just that things in the legislature can take other priorities. I mean, we saw this with the COVID-19 pandemic where it's like all the states for a couple of years were like, everything now has to focus on COVID. So yeah. um, some of these obstacles are still in place and it's just a acknowledgement that that's the system that we currently live in. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So you mentioned kind of getting more providers for places that have provider shortages. And I think that's one of the biggest stated benefits. I think clinician match and finding clinicians that have a specialty when you don't have a lot of clinicians in your state can be very helpful. There's also continuity of care. I've talked about my clients traveling around and especially as things open back up, there's clinician or clients that are, are traveling a lot more. And so we have to time their sessions versus just being able to meet at our regular time via telehealth. I think there's a lot of positives that are, are being seen here. We've started talking about some of the hesitations and 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 we are aware that the for the MFT stuff, CAMFT, AAMFT and and AAMFTRB, you know, well at least AMFT and CAMFT are talking and uh, have reached out to AAMFTRB, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so write. so there's there's conversations happening, I think and obviously different stages for all the licenses. There's, there's a, there isn't a knowledge that this is something, it's kind of the wave of the future because we can interact so freely uh, across state lines. Like why not get this process in place? But there's a lot of complications, you know, the overarching scope of practice, the complication of, of setting it up and running it and all the kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's very challenging there. How much do we want to talk about that, that element versus you, you, you've already previewed for me anyway, that you are a little bit of a skeptic here. When do we want to, when do we, when do we want to shift gears to that? Cause I think that there's so many folks are super excited about this. And I think there are things that are exciting about it, but there are some real concerns that I want to make sure we get to. So where, where should we go next, I guess, is the question that I'm asking so, here. So this has all of the makings of a wonderful piece of legislation and cooperation that I don't know actually addresses what it's saying that it's intended to address. Okay. It, it is no surprise to anybody who listens to our podcast that we have a mental health crisis and we have a very understaffed mental health workforce. This 
theoretically allows for more clients to address more providers, but many of these states are amongst the most impacted as far as having the fewest providers available. And so if you combine 10 states who don't have enough workforce for each of their own individual states, by their 10 powers combined, theoretically can't address that even more people are going to be able to access a limited number of providers. It's not like we have, you know, a bunch of people who are all just residing in Utah. There's, you know, 9 million LPCs in Utah who now just have like all of this free time to go and see (laughs) clients who need to see counselors that Utah just has this, you know, mass amount of people who've been confined by state lines. This is, you know, a bunch of people without enough food now sharing that they don't have enough food with more people in more places. It doesn't make it worse. It just doesn't solve it is what is how I see it. But I think if, if folks who, if these states that, that have those needs don't get it started, I think it's hard because I think the big states don't need those extra jobs, right? I mean, maybe they do. I mean, I think there's a lot of clinicians in, in California that are like, yeah, let me practice somewhere else because I need I need clients. There's, you know, you, you could trip over a, a therapist every few steps in California. So, I mean, it's possible that with this starting, I mean, SIPACT is, is going on 34 states. So we've moved beyond the, the threshold in SIPACT where it's just states that are having provider shortages. I think, I think... I see what you're saying. This doesn't but, solve it initially, I mean, I, I, but it does I do get wanna, it started. <laughs> but I do want to correct one thing that you're saying is we have a bias because we hang out with a lot of therapists in a very populated city. Sure. But California has a mental health workforce shortage as well. It's just that sure. this goes to address that there's rural parts of our states and there's rural parts of a, a lot of these other states that are part of this that we we have our own shortages and we're not able to address this inviting more people to address you know yeah. people in rural areas it's well intended but it doesn't motivate or necessarily get people to the jobs that are needed in these positions what you just said actually made me think about uh, the the series that we're still somewhat in the process of fixing mental health care in America. But I, I think there's that that piece that the the Rand Corporation identified where there has been efforts and, and telehealth is a great effort to try to bring you know therapy to these rural areas, but the infrastructure and you know good good Wi-Fi and, and all of the pieces to actually be able to address these things potentially are more impactful than just adding clinicians from another state that are probably going to want to access your, your wealthy urban clients anyway. Which leads to my second criticism of this is that because of the scramble that's going to happen, the people who are most likely able to address the shortcomings of this public policy position across these 10 states are venture capital-led groups like BetterHelp Mm. that will do all of the legwork to match you up with clients in all of these rural areas. And we've got other episodes that we will talk about, And you know, in BetterHelp's defense. It's not just BetterHelp who can take advantage of these things. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I have my concerns that the people who have already been doing this against the law, as we've discussed in our previous episodes, or motivating therapists to practice across state lines when they're not allowed to, are the ones who are going to continue to contribute to the already capitalistic problems of our profession. And once again, not really with the best intentions of what clients have in store for them, but just by virtue of being able to match people more easily than any of the individual therapists in private practice who are like, hey, my client's going on vacation. I can still see them for their regular session. We'll link to a lot of those episodes in the show notes. But but what I'm hearing you say, Kurt, is that this is supercharging the big tech problem. Yes, it is. Okay. Mic drop. <laughs> and <laughs> pick that mic right back up because they're... I don't know. I'm I'm the resident, you know, contrarian of the show, the one who's maybe trying to uh, poke at things. And often I hear from listeners or from Katie or other people in my life is like, why let perfection be the the enemy of good? Good and, enough. And so I am looking, you know, for who else opposes this. And I did come across somebody else on the opposition side of this. And, and mm -hmm. it's a little group called the FBI. <laughs> why, why is the FBI opposing this? For those unfamiliar with the FBI, they are a law enforcement agency. And they are one of the generally two places that when you go to get licensed that your background checks go to. Ah, uh, yes. And so... The rationale in other interstate compacts, including counseling compact, including SIPACT, including medical compacts and nurses compacts, the FBI has had a pretty consistent position on this. And their reasoning is that these states entering into these agreements does not give them the right to supersede federal background checks. Now, allowing for practicing privileges in another state allows for the bypass of doing a background check for that state. Oh, interesting. And the way that the Department of Justice allows for some of these states to get the results of background checks does not allow for them to share the information from those background checks. Oh, that's why if you get licensed in another state, even if you can say like, hey, I'm licensed over here, they did my background check, the new state still needs a background check. And giving practicing privileges, as I understand this legislation to be written today, does not require background checks. Mm. It allows for the disciplinary boards to share information about discipline. But let's say that a therapist from one of these 10 states goes on a weekend bender in Vegas and ends up in the Clark County Jail that information does not necessarily get shared with a their licensing states because why why um, but then also doesn't get shared with any of the other practicing privilege states. It's not something that would necessarily like if you overall therapists don't get arrested. Yes, just don't. Yes, <laughs> but especially don't get arrested in your practicing states because your practicing states have with their own state 
Department of Justice is like, you know, California BBS, like if somebody gets arrested and they're licensed in California, they get a little like ping the next morning of like, hey, one of your licensees was arrested. But yeah. if you're if you're going to get arrested, don't get arrested. You know, don't if do you're it. being outside of your jurisdiction, at least there's some opportunities to fall through the cracks there. And the, are FBI, you telling people to how to avoid uh, getting in trouble? This is not legal <laughs> advice. And the legal advice, once again, is don't get arrested. But what the FBI's database does is allows for this information to be pinged each time that somebody goes through a background check. The FBI is saying that this does not actually empower any of the states to no information if somebody was to have a, an offense against them that wasn't caught or happened after their own background check to get a license in their own state. Well, I'm just even thinking for myself, I have not been arrested. I, I don't have anything that I have to worry about. But yeah, I haven't had a background check for 15 years. So I could be doing all kinds of stuff and get practicing privileges elsewhere is what you're telling me. Yes. And so- okay. This very much goes against, according to the FBI, any sort of patient protection that any of these licensing boards are put into place in the first place to protect consumers. Well, I even think taking this further, the whole consumer protection angle, and I think you, I'm going to give you credit. You mentioned this before we started recording, but as a consumer, I have no place to check if you actually do have practicing privileges in my state or if there's any problems. I, I mean, I guess I could look at your licensing state if I knew how to do that, knew where to do it, and can see if there's any any you know dings on your license. But but it, it really takes some of the stuff out of the consumer's hand being able to identify, you know, anything about the person that they're working with. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I imagine that these are things that are going to need to be addressed over the next few years as having some way of centrally notifying each other's state licensures or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there saying, but Kurt, this hasn't been a problem with SIPACT yet. And the answer that I have back in response to you is that we know of and it will <laughs> likely happen. <laughs> well, I think it's something where there's, and this was something that that I I hadn't thought about, but in a, in a conversation that we had, I think it's something where, with psychologists, the, the as far as I know, the licensing exams, the expectations, those are pretty constant across the United States, mm -hmm. and so if somebody messes up in the state that they're licensed in that's going to have a big impact because it it is the same pretty far across. And and I, I this doesn't address the federal uh, background checks, but I think it does address this kind of idea of all the complexity and, and consumers having an issue because what they're expecting from their clinician is not what they get because their clinician practices way differently than anybody in their state, for example. But MFTs don't have that. 
I mean, there's a there's a national association, but all 50 states basically have different expectations. Counselors, I think, are a little bit more streamlined. And so that's probably why they're moving forward. Social workers are very streamlined, and I'm sure they're going to to probably guide, you know, glide through this. But I think it's it's something where that that feels solvable, you know, getting a getting some way that there's this the background checks and and that kind of stuff. If you're if you're part of this compact, if you choose to get practicing privileges, there's a federal body that you then have to get a background check. And then that, you know, somebody at the federal level is running it versus each state having to, to do it. You know, I think there's some legislation that could probably really help this. But that seems really expensive. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, I, there's part of me that's like, do therapists care? Do, con- do consumers care? I mean, like, we're worried about this regulation. And there's part of me, and, and there's a whole podcast devoted to this, Very Bad Therapy, but there's there's bad clinicians that are not going to have oversight. But then there's also all of these clients who don't have access to therapists who accept them as who they are. And so having some of these things come into place, like, to me, it seems like it could be good. So I'm getting all over the place. So so bring us back to to something that's that's helpful. But I, I think there's there's this element of it feels solvable. I just don't know the timeline or how much money that, that would that, take. Those two points are the problems that I foresee with this. That mm-hmm. it's none of these things that I'm bringing up are unsolvable. Maybe the better help thing. <laughs> But <laughs> that's a different problem. It's separate from this problem to solve. <laughs> right. But it's probably going to be a lot more costs that are passed on to the providers than anybody sees. I The buzz that I'm initially hearing from people on this is very much like you, that most people are taking this as, oh, I can just kind of see my clients wherever they travel as long as they're in one of these 10 states. Yeah. And that is not true. And each one of these states is going to be additional costs. And, you know, the the background checks thing is, all right, you still go down to your local fingerprinting place, you do your live scan, you're just having it reported to a different state board and the FBI each time. And those things add up, you know, 50 bucks at a time adds up. Yeah. You know, times that by 10 states, times it by the application fees, because part of the legislation that was written for all of these states is basically written by the same people. And it's, you know, quote unquote, not actually a direct quote here, but not going to have anything more than administrative costs passed on to clinicians. There's a lot of administration costs in this yeah. that any of the licensing boards are more or less operating at a break even point. That adding on a bunch of new staff to process out-of-state therapists and to verify things, those are going to be costs that add up. Are they going to be cheaper than getting a license and meeting all of the requirements in these other states? Absolutely. But these are costs that are going to add up for people. This is not going to be a free-for-all that all of these state licensing boards are going to allow here. Yeah. I think that's the thing that it, that's that's hard because there's a lot of elements to this that says that like this is this this makes everything smooth and easy. 
this really provides additional access. And, and the more we've talked together about it, when we've talked to other folks about it, it just, I'm hearing that there is so much complexity to how this operates that it may not happen for all states because, you know, states that have enough clinicians, states that have a higher cost of living, they may not feel the need to, to add to their costs or their clinician base. And so they're not going to take it on. But, but when I look at, you know, really what we're talking about, it's, it's trying to put a bandaid on this problem. And, and hopefully it's, it's something that there's actually real federal legislation that can help to increase the infrastructure in places that need more clinicians, help to, to create systems that actually address some of these concerns that you're bringing up. But that would require tax dollars versus clinicians paying application fees and all those things. I mean, I heard, I think that the thing I heard was like millions of dollars to get this set up. You know, I mean, like that's, I guess if you've got a lot of clinicians, that's a cross of a lot of clinicians, you know, if they are savvy clinicians, those fees are then incorporated into the fees they charge, which then for private pay clinicians anyway, means that they're charging more. Insurance panels aren't going to pay you more just because you've got some extra space under your belt. And so it, it's it's something where the, the cost thing hasn't been figured out, nor has the infrastructure, both on the client side, but also on this regulatory side. It feels like there's just so much to figure out here. And that's something that I haven't even seen how insurance is going to work across state lines, that I willingly admit that I don't know the inner workings of a lot of the insurance process, but knowing that, all right, yeah, it's great that you can see a client two time zones away, but does their insurance allow it? And this is another factor that's going to be in it. And, you know, we can talk all day long and I'm already pre-addressing some of the criticisms of this episode from people. <laughs> we don't yet have universal health care. Don't even bring that up. Like, sure. Don't make arguments about systems that we don't have. These are yeah. problems that need to be addressed in the meantime. Yeah. And yeah, I know that some people are going to say that this is the first step towards national licensure and this kind of stuff. Okay. For maybe. Maybe. It may, not, be, it, it may actually delay it. It may it, delay it. Because it's a Band-Aid where people can go practice in other states. So why would I get a national license if I can practice in a couple other states and not worry about taking another test, getting another background check, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I, before, we, before we finish up, because I think there's probably going to be responses that then re lead to additional episodes <laughs> on this topic. But I think that, that just to kind of maybe poke the beast here a little bit. But with the with the insurance stuff, I think we're already seeing what insurance companies are going to do. And that is contract with these large tech companies that have clinicians across all the states, pay them more so clinicians can get more. But it means that individual practitioners almost de facto have to be private pay because they're going to get worse insurance rates and they're not going to be able to really compete, certainly not in advertising dollars or whatever, and we have a whole episode on this, but they're not going to be able to compete with the gigantic, quote unquote, tech solutions and or group practices. And so I think I think it's something where there is a lot to consider here. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of conversations that we want to have related to the disruptors, the tech disruptors in the space, 
who are the good ones, who are the ones that are challenging and potentially hurting our profession? How do we, you know, step into this and 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 take ownership of this space because you know, there is so much and and potentially these these compacts allow for us to compete at this level or it may make it harder. And I guess that's to be seen, I really think. Giving over the power, giving over the insurance contracts to publicly traded corporations means decisions get made quarter by quarter based on profits. And that is not what the healthcare system should be. We're kind of in a space where some people are able to compete against that. But so many more episodes to be done on this. We will include some links to some (laughs) stuff in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. You can bring up your concerns or tell us why you think that I am wrong on our social media. Or I'm wrong. I, we, we've got a lot that we did, we said here. So definitely join us over at the Facebook group and tell us what we're t- what we missed, because we certainly missed a lot, I'm sure. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 